Beginning the Trek, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Andy. How are you today? I'm doing good. I have been listening to you talking about your journey with Star Trek. So I actually want to check in with you before we talk about Journey to Babel. Tell me what's going on in your brain with you and Star Trek as we continue this journey. At this point, we are more than halfway through our original series lineup. We have watched more episodes than there are left in front of us. And I'm kind of excited about that. You're looking forward to the – I know you got to be looking forward to Next Generation and seeing a little bit more modern look. A little bit. Uh, and I am too. I'm looking forward to seeing how, how you see changes. Mm-hmm. This, has, this has both deepened my love for Star Trek – and it has had me scrutinizing it in ways that I've never done in the past. Mm-hmm. And and all of that has been fascinating for me. I had to get over the fact that you're not going to like everything about the original series. Sure. You're probably not going to like everything about any of it. I don't like everything about all of it. Right. Did it make sense? No, that made sense. There are little – yes, there are things about every single thing, even if we love it, that we don't love all of it. Exactly. It's awesome if a show hits 90%. That's great. Almost nothing's going to hit 100. And and these stories, as I've been watching them and getting reacquainted with some of them, especially things like Errand of Mercy, and then I, I watched how it influenced future science fiction, I started to think about you. Mm-hmm. And I realized that in order for science fiction to keep up with the world, it needs to evolve too. Mm-hmm. And, what's, and what's happened is we had some fantastic science fiction with some very progressive ideas, some of which became the norm in our society to the point where they're not, they're so not progressive anymore that they look, they look old. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to be moving on. Not yet, obviously. Because I know that there's still a couple more. Well, I've saved what what uh, what I consider to be some of the bigger and more more interesting stories, the things that you're going to need to know going forward. Mm-hmm. You've met the characters, mm-hmm. you've seen how how the situations play out. You kind of get the flow of the show now. Right. It's ten minutes longer than what you're used to, and so that f- makes it feel clunkier to you sometimes. Some of the effects don't work. That's true. Like the like the jumping blood drop in uh, in the naked time, which gave me a total false sense of what that virus was. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's what I meant was you as a science fiction fan have surpassed what they wrote, right? Because we have moved past right. Oh look, there's a virus infecting someone, and now we're at ooh, is it sentient? You added a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't there onto it because your viewing is so much greater. And what that had me look at was the evolution of science fiction itself. It's so cool to see these roots and see what it's turned into. And that's what I'm starting to explore now is what did science fiction turn into in the 80s besides Star Trek? Mm-hmm. What does it look like in the 90s besides Star Trek? Right. And Babylon 5, Stargate. Babylon 5 was 90s. Even getting into things like Battlestar Galactica. Anything that's a yes. that's a spacey science fiction kind – because this is definitely a space mm-hmm. thing. And just starting to see the evolution. And I'm really enjoying the exploration. I'm really I'm – like I'm digging in. Okay, so we just need to give the spoilers. If uh, we, You should watch this in order, kind of like, uh, especially if you're new to Star Trek. Watch it the way I am, because Andy has planned this all out. Right, And I'm right. starting to see it more and more. 
Absolutely. And uh, I'm about to give my 10-sentence synopsis to uh, to Journey to Babel here. But uh, before I do, I want to say that if you haven't seen it specifically, go back and watch it because I'm about to spoil everything. All right, go. Let's spoil. Okay, here we go. Tellarites and Andorians and Orions, oh my. The Enterprise is playing host to a gaggle of Federation ambassadors. We've stopped off at Vulcan to pick up Ambassador Sarek and his human wife, Amanda, leading to an uncomfortable family reunion as Spock reveals that the couple is, in fact, his parents. Over a tense backdrop of political intrigue regarding the all-important Corridon admission vote, we learn that Sarek and Spock have not spoken for 18 years over Spock's decision to join Starfleet. Just when Spock's story starts getting good, the Tellarite ambassador is murdered and Sarek becomes the main suspect because of a very public fight when Sarek was busy ignoring his son earlier in the show. Turns out, Sarek couldn't have done it because he was busy having a heart attack, just like the one that he's having right about... now. Dr. McCoy's a bit shaky on the whole Vulcan anatomy thing, but he's willing to try operating, provided that Spock will be blood donor using an experimental drug to produce extra. I guess because sickbay forgot to stock some, maybe? Kirk fight against an Andorian, and uh, Kirk wins, which is really cool, or not, depending on how old you are and whether or not Kirk was your boyhood hero. But <laughs> since I'm the one that gets to say it, I say that it's really cool right up to the point where Kirk gets stabbed. <laughs> I'm having fun. With the captain bleeding all over sickbay, Spock insists on taking command, even if it means that his father might die, inciting an argument and a major slap from his mother, Amanda. Kirk sucks it up, heads to the bridge, revives Spock, defeats the attacking ship. Oh, yeah, did I mention the attacking ship? All with a fake Andorian <laughs> slash actual real Orion spy who has stabbed Kirk, standing right next to him because, well, Kirk is just the man. And then the operation is a success, and both father and son bury the 18-year-old hatchet playing catch-up after almost two decades of silence. That is, until McCoy orders them all, including Kirk, to bed rest in quiet, finally giving him the last word. The end. You had to have gone over 10 sentences. Nope, that's 10. Wow, well done. I'll post them if you want. Now, they might be a little bit of a run-on. My question is, Is was it just too goofy or was it? did it work? That's perfect. It totally works. I mean, I'm snickering in over here, so. <laughs> this was so big an episode. Like, I can't believe how much stuff was in this episode. Mm -hmm. Two stories that definitely could have been their own episodes. And boy, did it take a lot to pack it all into 10 sentences and still have a good time with it. Well done. Let's talk episode. All right, let's talk episode. You know what? I might as well tell you straight off. Yeah. Okay. So Journey to Babel. Uh, Babel, not Babel, just so we establish that because it's actually said in the show. Kirk says it in the very opening. He says Babel, yep. and that's why I, sa I said Babel in the last episode. I know it yep. is because Kirk told me when I was a little boy, and, uh -huh. and I just believed him. Uh, as you should. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, there are some super-duper classic things about this story that I understand a lot of – I know where it's coming from. There's a lot of fans of this episode. I am sure of it because it's got to be up there with Tribbles. It's, it's very, it has a very big, I, 
iconic Star Trek feel. You get to see Spock's mom and dad, and you also get a really, really classic story of Captain Kirk sort of fooled the enemy, which I'm starting, I'm starting to recognize these themes of like, this is what classic Star Trek fans love, and I understand that love. However, on first viewing, I was like, that's great. And then the more I thought about it and the things I wanted to say and my reactions, it didn't hold up. So are we going to have another one of those didn't hold up episodes? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, and maybe you'll change my mind, but right at the beginning of this, when we're recording and we haven't talked about it yet, I'm giving it three out of five little alien antennas, but maybe that, that might change at the end because I, I could definitely be swayed given your knowledge and, uh, powers of persuasion. Well, sure. And and it's possible. And it's possible that you are actually going to point out some things that I'm already aware of. Uh, I'm the, sure. The, the main reason that I wanted to present this episode, have you guessed that Spock is kind of an integral character to, to Star Trek? Just a little bit. Just a tiny, well, tiny. He, yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there we were right in the Corbomite maneuver in mm -hmm. that very first episode. And he's mentioning his father. And it mm -hmm. became, it was so intriguing to you, that little moment yep. that you even talked about it. Yeah. So you've been wanting to, to meet Spock's dad for a long time. And mom too. Well, and mom too. And you got that opportunity in this episode. I did. Let's get to it. First of all, the fancy dress. Uh, they're not costumes. They're not outfits. They're the actual dress uniforms. The dress, the dress uniforms. Dress uniforms. Mm -hmm. Very snazzy, very gold. These uh, set people, who does the, these, who does the costumers? Now I feel stupid. They have a name. The people who dress the actors. The wardrobe. 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 Wardrobe really loved their shiny objects. Uh, that's what, that, that's how you know it's from space. That and unitards. Right. I don't know why everything has to look like a Ken doll in space, uh, but it does. Oh, just wait till we get to the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of onesies. Lots of onesies for a while. In fact, there's <laughs> there are stories about those costumes and the changes they had to make to them after the first couple of seasons. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I just, you know, there were there were some scenes that the reception, especially, when you get to the reception and it's the golden little people drinking whatever they're drinking. I was like, this is a scene about a hat. This is about costumes. This is about making sure we know everybody knows that we are all aliens and we're in space. Gratuitous, but fun. So I'll go with that. Sure. Well, and you know, they had to establish all the, all the aliens there. And we did have our first confrontation between the Tellarite and the and the Vulcan ambassador and Sarah. Do they show so, up again, or was that just? Yes, a little bit. They'll show the the, the Tellarites will show up a little bit. The Orions will show up a little bit until we get to the very last series we're going to get to, which is Enterprise. And in Enterprise, the Tellarites are there more. Mm -hmm. uh, the Andorians actually show up in Enterprise, and one of the characters uh, is and, and there's an Andorian character. Mm -hmm. I think it took them that long to be able to actually make those antenna look real. <laughs> they do. I mean, all of them look a little rid ridiculous, but that's what happens when you get into sci-fi. That's almost everyone's first complaint about any sci-fi show that goes really hardcore making an alien look extreme, If it's not, especially if it's not a horror movie. Like if it's a horror movie, you can get away with it looking at however you want to. 
antenna, splashes of anything, spikes and anything. But suddenly, if you have like a legit drama, people get really turned off immediately. Uh, but it shows your it shows the wideness of the universe that they're building that Star Trek is in. That even though we're on the ship constantly. It's very clear that this is a really big place and there's lots and lots of people of lots and lots of backgrounds. Sure. It's it's interesting that you called this one a scene about a hat because I remember you talking about pointing out the scene about a hat. Uh-huh. And, and, and I'm going to go ahead and completely agree with you that this is a scene about a hat, mm-hmm. but it's a hat that the audience needed to see. That's fair. Because because it's a hat that shows what you just said. The right. the the breadth of what the Federation is. Right. All the different types. Even the ones that we, you know, the 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 little glittery guys in the fezes and the you know, the taller ones. Right. That you never see again, I'm sure. That you never see yeah. again. And I don't remember ever seeing I mean, maybe. Someone out there that has a, a better trivial knowledge than I do is going to say, oh, no, they show up at the bubble, you know, whatever. Right. But but they're there just to show how big the Federation is and that they don't all agree. That's fair. I will put this in here. Uh, there is one thing. This is Star Trek in general of a pattern that I'm starting to see. It's one of those. I know it's nitpicky. It's one of those things that bugs me. Is that they establish, they, they take a while to establish that there's lots of diplomats here and we're going to be receiving or accepting this one thing and here's reasons why and here's reasons why not. And then they get into arguments about it and it's, and then they get into arguments about arguing about it. And I'm like, okay, you just took a lot of time to explain something that I know I'm never going to hear again. It's, one of those things about Star Trek that I'm just like, can we just not do this entire five minute thing? Because you're you're trying to make me care about something and I don't care. I really, really cared about Spock and his dad. I really, really cared about the relationship between Kirk and how he treats Spock's dad and how he treats Spock because of Spock's dad. Fascinating. The mom, the slap, all of it. McCoy laughing. So much of that I care about. Do not care about the whatever the hell was going on, they're receiving vote of blah, 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 blah. Right, the court in admission. I get it. No, like you have to have a premise for why diplomats are there. But honestly, you could spend literally two seconds and say, the diplomats are here for this reception. Okay, I completely accept that. I mean, that was a lot of extras that they had to put a lot of different kinds of costumes and... and a lot of outfits. Star Trek's budget was not huge. Yes. And they were always looking for places to cut. You'll notice that there were a couple of actors right. that were not in this episode. Uh, I don't believe that you saw George Takei. I don't believe nope. that you saw um, James Doohan as Scotty. Right. Chekhov is in this and Uhura is in this. And they both get some things to say and do, which is nice. Um, but for the most part, I mean, you know, they probably – to get those actors and to get all the makeup people they needed and the costumes. Sorry, Jimmy. Uh, we don't need Scotty this week. Right? We can't hand this over to Scotty BS that I thought was a thing. You know what it was? Part of what bugged me about this episode doesn't really have anything to do with Spock and Vulcan and emotions and mom and dad. Part of it was it felt like the actual plot was a mystery adventure, that that was what it was supposed to be. And then a writer got in there and was like, no, let's meet Spock's dad and took over, but still had to keep a little bit of that original story in there. It competes. It's like they've got 
just two really, really strong elements. And I wish they would have given one or the other the priority. That's so interesting. See, see, when I when I've watched this episode in the past, I've noticed that I'm far more interested in all of the stuff about Spock. You learn about and, and sorry, mm-hmm. you learn who they are. You learn about the you know the the rift between them. You learn all those wonderful right. things, and then you've got this other story, I which has what I think are some great moments. The funny thing is, is I think this has a very Corbomite maneuver feel in this plot of. The ship is out there. It's paralleling us. What is warp 10? I'm not completely sure, but it doesn't sound good. Oh, they're paralleling us again. Oh my God, the transmitter's coming from inside the ship. All of that is really exciting. Like as a TV show, it's adventurous, it's mysterious. I'm like, oh, what's happening? I would really have loved to have seen that be the major point. And the relationship stuff keeps going over time, but is gradual. You don't need an entire episode from Spock to go, we don't even know your parents. Oh, you haven't talked for 18 years. Oh, but you're going to give your, you're going to endanger your life for him. Oh, but now you guys are joking in the end because your mom is illogical. Like all of that happened way too much. You could have done that over an entire season and that would have been so much more impactful because we would have waited for it as if you were, I would have, I would have held on for that you would have made every single episode the looks between spock oh and his dad oh this episode is when they finally sit down and have a conversation this episode is when he gets sick oh my god what's gonna happen it it doesn't have anywhere near the impact that it could have had just with time to develop the relationship i really wish that would have been the case instead i totally understand that and uh, that is coming. It's so interesting. That is coming from a science fiction fan of today, of, of, mm-hmm. of the 2017 era, right? Who, who is used to that? Um, who's used to seeing a, a ongoing storyline in their story? Maybe it's not the you know the total through line, but you see elements right. of it week after week instead right. of yes. And what you might have noticed, and this I think is one of the one of the slight tragedies of the original series of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. What you might notice is that they tend to forget what happened last week every week. Yeah, that bugs. And and unfortunately, um, sometimes it shows up incredibly obviously. Like uh, we just did this thing last week, and then we encounter something similar or something that we could have used the thing that we used last week to get out of it. We could have used mm-hmm. it, but mm-hmm. nobody seems to remember that we just did that. So it makes for more individualized stories, right? but, but it doesn't give you that through line. In fact, yeah. I can count on the number of, uh, you know, on one hand, the number of times that one of them will refer to something in a previous episode, you know, and say, Hey, remember that time when we were this, this or that? Mm. And didn't we do this? Right. It doesn't happen very often in the original series. It will in later in later series. That's because TV changes. That's because the way TV was presented changes. Th- that's because the viewer changes, right? I guess. I guess that makes sense. It still bothered me because I I wanted to feel more real, and it's not real if your life is lived in these forty five minutes. Okay. And then the next one, you're like, here's a new one. We have the same character, but yeah, we're basically just doing rewind, rewind and reset. If we're talking about plot holes, I have two. Okay. And then a complaint. But Two and then a complaint. <laughs> it's not going to be all bad. Um, the first one being, 
Uh, why aren't people beaming aboard? What's with all the ship docking and stuff? If you have the technology to beam, why would you even? Why would your ship even have a dock? Are you t- you're talking about why did Sarek and his entourage come aboard on the shuttlecraft yeah. instead of? Yeah, like why didn't why don't why doesn't everybody just beam everywhere? Sure, we haven't really gotten into this too much with McCoy yet, but one of his character quirks that shows up often, mm-hmm. and I and I just I'm realizing that we haven't really seen it much. He's scared of the transporters. Really? Yes, that's kind of endearing. <laughs> McCoy just uh, right. It is. It is. He's he just doesn't like having his mo- molecules scattered across the. You know, across the galaxy. Sure. Uh, and then reassembled. And, and you know, when you think about it, makes a certain amount of sense. Mm-hmm. And, and as we continue to explore Star Trek, there's a ton of people out there that have different ideas of how the transporters work and what's actually going on there. And, All right. You know, is, is what shows up on the other end actually what's there? Sure. <laughs> what was on the first side, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah, well, and there's an episode of Big Bang Theory where Sheldon talks about uh, teleportation. He's just like, if I invented this, I would essentially be a clone. And they're like, would the clone be better? And like, no, it'd be exactly me, but I'm not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. It's basically a duplicate of you, right. but you you are disintegrated to make it happen. So does that mean that you died and that's a brand new thing? But it thinks it's you. Right. And it thinks it's where been living. Where does the soul go? And that's one of the more interesting conversations about Star Trek that happens throughout all the series. And especially when we get to those wonderful transporter accidents that happen every now and then. Ooh, I want to see that. Well, um, all right. Let me give you a quick recommendation. Okay. And I've already talked about it. This is also the first time that that um, uh, Spock ever does the Vulcan nerve pinch on anyone. And he does it to Kirk. So – the Enemy Within okay. is is the episode. It's a first season episode, and it is a transport. I'll, leave, I'll even share with you because it happens at the very beginning. Okay. Captain Kirk has an accident while he's in the middle of his transport, mm-hmm. and uh, he en- they end up with two of him. Okay? Cool. I See? You'll get an interesting story out of it. And, and I got to tell you, it was one that was so close to making this list because there's a lot of great stuff, huge character stuff, and also you get a lot of humanity stuff. If he does that, the Vulcan grip nerve thing first, and this is season one. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you with the whole, you're like, this is a huge deal. I'm like, so this is season one. <laughs> it's cool. It, I, look, I, th- you are so excited and interested. So yes. so it, it is a transporter accident. They do happen every now and then. But it explores humanity. This one particularly has, now you're making me regret not having put this on the list. And there's no room. There's just no room for it. You had 52 episodes to shove 700 plus into. I think I'm just going to have to supplement on my own. So this is why you're giving the recommendations. There you go. So definitely at this point, I have now recommended this without putting it on the recommend list. I've now talked about this episode twice. It's going to get seen. So, so if if ever the yeah and yeah. it's and it's good and it, and Yeoman Beehive is in it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Okay. So, oh, I can see you might, might be. I might have to talk to you a little bit about about the enemy within. The second plot hole that I have a problem with is how in the heck does McCoy get away with not knowing much about Vulcan anatomy? Literally, the XO on the ship gets sick 
and he's just like, oh, well, it seems a little odd that you're 102. And he just mentions like so many anatomical things. He's just like, I know about where stuff goes, but I would never operate on anyone. I'm like, oh my God, the second in command on your ship that you are the doctor of literally is this alien. I feel like you should know how to do operations. Shame on you. I Well, and I would think that he would be able to do m- many. Now, this was a heart operation. So he's still not forgiven. He's still not forgiven. No. All right. Yeah. Okay. So here. Yeah. All right. I'm going to add to it. I'm just going to add to your plot hole. All right. You ready for this one? Yes. That I didn't notice. Another thing that they should have done, especially since Spock and Sarek have the same blood type. If mm-hmm. there's no blood for Sarek, there's no blood for Spock aboard the ship. <gasps> oh. And Spock's shameful. always aboard the ship. Right? Right. If he ever gets sick, they're screwed. Shouldn't Spock be like donating blood into a bank? Just regularly? Like kept on ice or stasis or something. Right. And when I and when I realized that that plot hole of this particular show that really bothered me. Yep. 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 This is officially the episode where Kirk's pauses made me scrunch my nose and drove me a little bit crazy. Like, this is officially Journey to Babel. This is the one that did it. I was like, oh, God, you have to stop talking like that. When when did he do it? Which which one? Did, what scene was it? I don't even remember. I just remember several times the episode being like, really? Because now that I've heard it. And the funny thing was, is it wasn't a big deal. Like, all there were a lot of all the seasons. I didn't start mentioning this until very, very recently. Mm-hmm. And this is the first one where it's actually bothered me. So Okay, well let's see if that's an aberration or if that's something that comes comes up in Maybe. The- Hopefully if I I can forget it, just be in the moment with it. Well or you can just learn to embrace it, you know? No, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> the transmitter inside the alien antenna. Was an antenna. Was an antenna. It was an antenna <laughs> hidden inside of that an was, antenna. It was like it was punny, but not punny. It was, what is it when, oh, it was so perfect. I was like, the transmitter is in the antenna. I have never thought of that. You're right. I've never uh, thought of that. That is actually really funny. That's like the irony of that it, That just right? had me in giggles watching the show. <laughs> he rips off the antenna. He's like, oh, and he's so serious. And I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? I love the way it just starts in the middle of the fight. Yeah. That fight lasts 45 seconds with William Shatner doing his own stunts, including the jump kick. Okay. And the flip uh-huh. and all that stuff. And I sat there watching that a couple – and I never noticed that that they did that in one continuous take. This is the one where he gets stabbed. The one where he gets stabbed. So okay. all, all of that happens in one camera shot. I was impressed. I am so hard to impress. I thought it was so cheesy. And part of it is I have never been a stunt person. I've never gotten into a fight like that. I've never had to shoot that. I've never had to deal with lighting or acting or anything like that. But I've seen so much other stuff that it looked so... When he jumps off the wall, I was like, what is happening? I couldn't... The choreography, it's just clunky. Okay, okay. So I enjoyed the fight scene, but that's my boy. That's my captain. Being, being, being the man. Being, being Captain Kirk. Do we get to talk about Spock now? Let's talk about Spock and the and Sarek and Amanda and this broken family. Wait, before we do that, 
this is literally the first time I have gotten to see the Vulcan hand hello. Yes, the live long and prosper. The Vul- they call it the Vulcan salute. Salute. This is the first time I've gotten to see the Vulcan salute, which I totally wrote down as Vulcan hand hello. <laughs> Would you like to know how that was created? Yes. This is a little piece of trivia, and it's really fun. Leonard Nimoy is Jewish. Okay. And when he was a child, Leonard Nimoy went – he went to synagogue. And at one point, they are asked to put their heads down, close their eyes, and there's some sort of blessing that happens. Well, he peeked. He opened his eyes and he peeked at the rabbi. And what he saw was the rabbi sort of blessing the congregation with his arms up, mm-hmm. making that gesture, splitting the two fingers in the middle out to the to the, to the the congregation. Huh. And he was so fascinated by that that he sort of kept that in his mind. And then when given an opportunity to create this Vulcan greeting, um, he's the one that thought of it. He came up with a lot of stuff for his character. I was about to say, it seems like he had, like, he as an actor had a really profound impact on Vulcan society and, and traditions and all the way they, like, because you've said before, he thought that this is the way they would do things. And so they just made it that way. That's awesome. That has got to mm-hmm. be. Uh, not just not just creative, but a really, really wouldn't you want that as an actor? That's what I'm trying to get to. Like that's fun. Absolutely, that's I. I, I would think that every every actor that really wants to challenge himself mm-hmm. or herself really wants to be given an opportunity mm-hmm. to explore the depth of what a character mm-hmm. can, can do. And he played Spock literally played him for. Just about five decades. Mm-hmm. When you go back to 1964, when he was playing Spock in the original The Cage, and then he even shows up in these last three movies, right? As as the one remnant from the other timeline, uh, from the prime yeah. timeline, yeah. that that made it through. Uh, so so you know Spock's character is so integral mm-hmm. to. Star Trek. That has to say something about how we feel as humans when we watch this show that we relate to a split in ourselves of, I know I'm getting pretty heavy, but a split in ourselves between our logical and our rational. And wouldn't it be nice to be able to uh, attribute that to something? To be like, my father is purely this and my mother is purely this, that we feel like there's a war going on with ourselves. And that we don't feel like we entirely belong. Am I cra- Am I projecting? Because I feel like this is pretty universally. Spock is very well loved. Obviously, he's. I would say more loved than most captains. What you're probably going to discover was they created a character, an alien character, or someone who's not human, who can be there to observe and comment on what it is to be human. So we get to explore our humanity through the eyes of Spock. The observer. Later, we'll get to explore our humanity through the eyes of uh, Lieutenant Commander Data in The Next Generation when you meet him. And every series, as I think about it, has some version of that. Somebody out there who's observing humanity. Right. And either on their quest to become better humans. <laughs> God, I don't even know if I'm more telling about myself than of other people. I assumed that it was easier to relate to Spock than it would be to relate to the captain or uh, 
check off for Scotty. I mean, maybe a little bit, but but no, Spock is the one that like is representative. He's representative of the I'm not sure if I belong here. He's representative of having to war within yourself. But he's in this episode particularly, he's super representative of family discord and how you can look at one thing so purely and you know it's right. And another side of your family who's so deeply tied to you looks at something and says, you're wrong. And haven't we all experienced that? It's a teenage rift. He's he's every teenager and their dad who doesn't believe the teenager knows how he should be behaving yet. Yes. It's, it's, it's so, it's such the classic father son dynamic. Sure. You know, yeah. the father wants, the father wants the son to follow in his footsteps. The son wants to do what he wants to do mm-hmm. and then does it. And then the father feels slighted because he feels everything was invalidated that he had built up that he now has to leave behind. Right. And, and, you would think that these logical, non-emotional Vulcans would be better at handling that kind of crap, but they're so much worse at it. Yeah. You know, they avoid it. They pretend – you want to talk about a couple of emotional jerks. Yes. A bunch of two, – two emotional jerks that were, that were total babies yes. about their relationship with each other and both of them so proud. Ugh. Are they built as aliens to not be emotional? They're completely logical beings because emotions aren't built into them. Or are they emotional beings who have worked as a society to not have emotions and to be purely based on logic? Man. Do we even know the answer to this? There was a time where the Vulcans were ext- – I'm just going to tell you some backstory about the Vulcans. Why not? There was a, there was a time where the, where the Vulcans were incredibly uh, warrior-like. They were ruled by emotion. They were very violent. And a teacher called Surak came Mm -hmm. and proposed absolute peace as a way of life. Mm -hmm. And many people became disciples of Surak. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether he's the Vulcan Buddha or some version of that, Surak exists. They, the Vulcan society has strived to become more logical, okay. to take emotion out of it. There are some extremists in Vulcan society who will practice what they call kolinar, okay. which shows up in Star Trek The Motion Picture. And, and in fact, Spock is at that point studying it, and it is a complete purge of all emotions. That's not going to be easy. <laughs> well, and it, it, he doesn't get it done. You know, he can't. Because he's human. Because he's, well, yeah. And thank goodness, because the movies start to become a a big arc for how Spock finds his version of humanity. Without becoming human, he finds his own version of humanity through the movies. So it's a lot of stuff. Okay. Okay. And I mean, I got 76 episodes I could probably point you toward to give you the answer to that question. But did I give you some? Yes. And that actually helps me because if you had said, this is a race that does not have emotions, I would have had so many problems because they clearly, clearly do. Yes. Uh, And you can see it the second that Spock sees his dad. But from the second their eyes meet, there's tension. 
And if they were completely logical beings, there would be no tension because emotion is tension. Tension is emotion. Like that's, you can't have one without the other. So if you're saying I'm completely logical, no, you're not. You're petty. You're prideful. You're stubborn. You're disdainful. And frankly, quite prejudiced because some of the stuff he says to the other aliens is just like, oh, you're not like that. You just like to argue. And I was like, well, that's a little, I, I mean, he categorized the entire race as that's what they do, which maybe yeah. is his experience, but that's what prejudice is. So interesting. It is interesting. And and you, it's so funny because when I first, my first experiences with the the, the the Vulcans and I fell in love with Spock just like you did. The first, the first sure. time I saw Star Trek, the very first image I saw of Star Trek was Mr. Spock in a fedora, by the way. Oh, I want to go a, to there. A piece of the action. <laughs> a piece of the action is the episode and it's just goofy fun. Goofy, goofy fun. Oh, okay. I want to watch that. I love fedoras. I love Spock. I want to see Spock in a fedora. When a son doesn't do what dad wants and dad is really committed to it, it can be heartbreaking to him too. And if you're prideful and they both are Mm -hmm. and stubborn and they both are, you end up with 18 years of no relationship and a mom caught in the middle that like is stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt for her. I... I was on the fence about her because I liked her at first. However, I didn't believe her. And especially in the end, uh, I would really, really, really have loved to have seen a character that was actually like number one in the cage be Spock's mom. I think that kind of woman would actually be in a Vulcan society and really want to be there. This actress... I think it was a casting mistake, and I say that with absolutely no knowledge of, I don't know anything about this actress, uh, but she's got a very, like, seven brides for seven brothers. She's she's cute and fun, and I can see her being a really popular actress, but I would really, really have loved to have had number one, where sh- she's smart and quick and could keep up with Sarek, and wasn't, she seemed a little trophy wifey. Mark Leonard, who plays Ambassador Sark, mm-hmm. Spock's father, um, this is not his first appearance on Star Trek. Really? Have I seen him before? You have not. Oh, okay. You have not. He played – before he played um, Spock's father and really caught on, he played as the Romulan commander in an episode called Balance of Terror. Okay. I don't even think I've seen a Romulan yet. You haven't seen a Romulan yet. Next week, we're going to meet the Romulans. And oh, okay, cool. I'll, I'll, there's two what I think are the best Romulan episodes in the original series. And I really struggled. I can only show one, and I really struggled with which one to show. One of them is a fantastic Kirk versus the Romulan commander episode. It's Balance of Terror. Mark Leonard plays that Romulan commander. And it is a fantastic episode it's a very guy episode, but it's like two submarine commanders oh, hun- okay. hunt- hunting each other. And, cool. it's, ha- and right. it's and it's the episode How You Meet the Romulans. Mm-hmm. And so for the first time, I'm going to suggest I'm not going to have us watch Balance of Terror as part of our 52. But if you were wanting to watch Balance of Terror. Now's the time to do it. Now would be a great time to do it. Okay. And you will see. The same actor show up as mm-hmm. the Romulan commander. 
And he will look surprisingly similar to the way he looks right now. <laughs> okay. Because Romulans and Vulcans share a, an ancestry. Oh, okay, cool. And that gets talked about in Balance of Terror. Okay. An episode we're not watching. And so I'm bringing it up here because it's important to the to the story of the Romulan. Oh, so I'm okay. announcing it a little earlier than we normally do uh, on our show. But the Enterprise incident is the other fantastic Romulan episode. And we already know who the Romulans are at that point, which is why I'm giving you a little of this backstory. And also telling you if you really enjoyed Mark Leonard as Sarek, you can see Mark Leonard as the Romulan commander. I really liked his portrayal. I really felt he nailed it as an actor. I yeah, as a, as an actor, I really, really, I really enjoyed his. He his delivers in the future as well. This is setting up the Federation. This is setting up Spock's life. This and, and family. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is showing so much of the future of Star Trek. So, so getting to this episode, like this, this was the moment. And so much of what we've done up to this point was making sure that you knew who Kirk was and what mm-hmm. he's about and Spock and, and starting to know who the other characters are in the formats of the show mm-hmm. and getting how the stories work. It was leading up to this. Right. Where it became Star. I did. I felt that. I felt like it became Star Trek. A little bit for me in this one. Uh, I wish that the plot holes didn't bother me so much. These big gaping things that I'm just like ah, uh, because I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna have to keep it at three out of five. I got it. But I did. Here's the thing. I think if I wasn't because I'm analyzing because I want to talk with you about mm-hmm. these things. So I really am. I'm taking it in. I'm thinking about it. Had I just watched that one for fun, that one would have just been fun. Sure. And I like that because some of them, it's like, oh, I've gotten through this so that I could get to the next one. But this one was just, I would have sat down and watched that on my own for funsies. I didn't see him actually doing all that much commanderiness while he's interrogating the prisoner. Um, so, and I used sarcastic quote fingers on that, that people can't see. But uh, yeah, like the the whole, like he doesn't discover anything. He doesn't do anything about the ship nothing happens with the murder on his watch so it's not like you are the only competent officer you might be the most competent officer but how much of a drop-off is it right yes like the ego in that statement was so huge it really was spock's emotions are all over the place on this on this i'm an, an emotionless man Episode, yes. Right? Like, so is Sarex, by the way. The only one who's consistent really is Amanda and Kirk. Like, they are consistently emotional, but it's not woo. And don't they have a great couple of moments together where the yeah. two of them are talking about he's stubborn, a human trait, you know, the, like yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're kind of mm-hmm. teasing about both of them. And then they share a smile at the end of that moment. Yeah. Where they're both like, you get it. Yeah, you get it too. And, you know, because yep. they both love – they love who they love. Yeah. And it's yeah. Just, that's just the way it is. Yep. And, of course, you know, there's Kirk to save the day. Bleeding in his own chair, he still manages to – Right. That right there made me love Kirk more than I did before because I have previously seen him as kind of – arrogant swashbuckling he's a bit of a jerk he's a bit of a uh, pushes himself on a lot of things but that right there a lot of sacrifice a lot of just being a a captain who loves 
his friend and that's what he's going to do. And he's going to, he's going to suck it up and do whatever he has to do. And I thought that that was really beautiful. Yeah, I, I think that the words that you were looking for back there when you were describing Captain Kirk were a swaggering, overbearing, tin-plated <laughs> dictator with delusions of godhood. <laughs> Who's scruffy looking? Uh, no, this was this was an extremely shiny moment for Captain Kirk, and not given a whole lot of weight. Like nobody said, "Look what he is doing." It was really beautiful in its subtlety. I, I enjoyed it very much. The entire decision to break somebody who has tried to murder you out onto the center of command and in the yeah. ring of power was flabbergasting. I was like, what is this decision here? They do it a lot. Crazy. Okay, so this would be this would this would be a classic resolution moment for Star Trek. And and you're gonna oh gosh, you're gonna see it next week too. You're gonna see the exact same <laughs> okay. resolution scene where you're gonna have where you're gonna have the bad guy I, 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 I don't want to spoil it, but you're okay, gonna see something sure. very similar to that. And we'll talk about it next week. So it occasionally happens. You get the bad yep. guys just there and it becomes just a just a all right, let's see how it plays out and we're gonna talk about it rather than right, right. be physical. But but it, it's one of those things where if we were filming this today, that makes no sense. Said, we're not doing that. Nobody with any kind of military training or strategic thought at all would not be doing that. Anybody who's the captain of a ship, exactly. At the very least, Ugh. put a pair of handcuffs on the guy. He tried to kill you. He tried to kill you with a knife, and now you're going to let him stand next to you, and you're hurt. By the way. Right, right. He could have just poked him. It's it's lucky he just decided to give up and take some poison. So random, so random. Warp one is the speed of light. And then warp two is an exponential factor of that. And then warp three is an exponential factor of warp two and so on and so on and so on. So kind of like the Richter scale. And I don't know what the actual exponents are. And I'm not going to do, I'm not going to, I am not going to do the research to figure that out for a show about beginning the track. Thank you. Just your entire speech right there. I glazed over. I got it. I'm sorry. Warp warp is faster than light. I am not going to be the techie track. Warp is faster than light. Impulse is slower than light. And the faster you step on the gas, the more warps. The higher the, the more warp. warps you got. Warp 10 is Beautiful. a lot of warps. It's a lot of warps. They were going really <laughs> fast. There were... A couple of other things that I absolutely have to mention because they were so warm and fuzzy. The moment that McCoy just lights up because he got the final word. Right. Pure joy. Loved it. I don't think I've seen his face quite like that for the entire all ever so far. So that was very enjoyable. Yeah. Not only that, he does it right into camera. Yes. Eye contact. Yeah. Yeah. Finally got the last word. I love it. Yeah. Love it. That was great. And the the play when Spock and Sarek finally, they, they're actually teasing Amanda. Yes. And they're like, emotional, isn't she? And this is the one I wrote down. And she's like, she's always been that way. Indeed. Why did you marry her? At the time, it seemed the logical thing to do. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Isn't it great, right? That's a great little... That's a great little exchange. Had to had to point it out because that was my favorite line, and it was Spock and Sarah. What did you think of Sark and Amanda making out all over the place? Was that the two finger naughtiness that was going? That Vulcan, I don't even know. that Vulcan kiss. 
<laughs> is that what that is? They're kissing. Well, I, I, maybe they're holding hands. I don't know. Maybe that's what that is. But they were doing it when they were alone. Mm, it was very much an I love you, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Very it was much. A, it was a public display of affection mm-hmm. and it was all over the ship. No qualms about that whatsoever. I saved the best ones for last, of course. Awesome. I saved the ones that are like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Now you have the background. Yeah, I like that. And and, and Journey to Babel is kind of the first of the, oh boy, here uh, we now go. Now we get it. Got the, the stuff. You're burying the lead, man. But I guess you kind of had to. You have to get the introductions in there. You you wouldn't have you wouldn't have appreciated the relationship between Spock and his father if you saw that first or second. You wouldn't get it. Sure. Yeah. You needed to know who Spock was. You needed yeah. to go through some of his journey with him. Right. Find out who he is on the ship. Right. Before you could get to this. Like likewise, you need to know who Kirk is before you see what happens in the Enterprise in- incident. Okay. You know, I mean, we're and we're building we're building. On a body of work here. And in these last few episodes that we're going to do, it's all getting to play in the world that you have now seen. Uh, I'm going to be watching the Enterprise incident on Sundays the way I do. The way you do. Let me see. That one is the 29th of October in a week. The way I do. Always on a Sunday. Always on a Sunday. Sunday evening. So follow along if you like to. Yeah, hold on. Let me see if I can get some of these details because I've been listening oh, in. Okay. At begin the track. Yes. Hashtag BTT. Hashtag BTT. Hashtag begin the track. Hashtag enterprise incident. Hashtag the enterprise incident. Hashtag not balance of terror. <laughs> Love it. Let me give my recommendations. Oh, your recommendations for this week. Let me give my recommendations for this week. So, um, boy, you know, this was all about Spock. Wasn't it like yeah, this, Spock this, and this family? This really was about Spock, and and so one of the epi- one of the recommendations we'll just make it balance okay. of terror because of the tie-in with Spock and Mark Leonard and the Romulans and the backstory there. So we'll just call that part of Spock's past too because it is. And then the second episode that I'm going to to recommend to people. For though, and you're, this is gonna be another one you're gonna want to watch, Jessica. Okay, you got four new episodes to watch this week that I'm telling you about here. This is an episode called A Mock Time, A M O K Time, okay, a Mock Time or O Mock Time, and I don't know the right pronunciation of that. Isn't that a mock? I'm not sure. Okay. Maybe it's like running amok. Oh my gosh. Is it running amok? Did I just really like figure that out after 50 years of Star Trek that amok time is based on running amok? Uh, yeah. To run amok, also run riot or wild. And this episode gets a little wild and we visit Vulcan. We go back to Vulcan and we meet Spock's wife. Oh my. Oh my. Was this this has to be like a prearranged thing. Don't tell me. I don't Okay, cool. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm probably right? going to watch that one. Uh-huh. Great conversation. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> in in his quarters, he's standing there, you know, he only he only talks on the phone half naked. We did. He took his shirt off again. If they're going to Skype him, he's got to take his shirt off before he goes. Yep. Uh, it's like being on the chat roulette where you were you would just be scrolling through chats and you'd be like, hello, dude with his shirt off. <laughs> I never did that. Mm-hmm.